Um, okay. Let's do it. Do it. Now do you feel better, Greg? An hour later, we start the show. Sorry. If only people could see behind the scenes the popping collars. <laughs> the amount of work that goes into this. What am I going to say? <clears throat> Something like this. Hey, welcome to Popping Collars. That <laughs> <laughs> was really loud. Yeah, that was really. <laughs> Popping Collars is back in a new decade. 2020. <laughs> we are resolved to bring you a new episode right now. My name is Greg Knight. I am the director of Children and Youth Ministries in Palm Beach, Florida. With me to do this new episode are the folks you have come to expect. <laughs> Betsy Gonzalez. Yes. Betsy, what's up? How's your new year? Oh, it's pretty good. The kids are back. We're fighting a flu B here at school, um, which means you have, you know, a running quarantine list of children who you won't be seeing. But, you know, it's that's that's life in in the cold season and the flu season at boarding school. So but uh, but yeah, I'm here at Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, we are just making our way slowly to the end of the semester on the this petri coming. dish that is yes. Episcopal High School. Yes. Uh, moving east to west, we arrive at Liz Easton. Liz, happy new year. What's going Thanks, on? Greg, happy new year. Um, not much. I'm here in Omaha, Nebraska, where I am the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. And it's really, really shockingly cold here, which mm-hmm. if you don't know anything about this part of the country, you might think, yeah, what did you expect? You live in a frozen tundra. But, um... <laughs> It really just came up and smacked us this year. I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. We had a mild winter. But I already questioned Liz. She has one of those cute hipster water bottles with oh. the with a cashmere sweater. Yeah. I do. Oh my god! <laughs> nice. Uh, and that oh my god you just heard was from Ricardo Avila. Ricardo, <laughs> indeed. Welcome my, uh, to yeah, the new decade. You. What's going on? Thank you, Greg. You know, there's actually a lot going on. Uh, I am in Northern California. I currently serve as rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. Uh, again, I like to iterate, is it is the home of Netflix. Uh, I still haven't gotten any of them to come to church, but I'm working on it. But, you know, things are just, things are going well. And I, you know, I, I'm kind of in a sweet spot as, as, uh, as a rector right now, which I am enjoying and hope it lasts. So this episode is coming out in February, and February is a month where if you go to any drugstore in this country, you'll see hearts and and valentines and little cupids running around shooting bows and arrows and all of that other stuff. It's a month dedicated to love uh, in the secular culture. But as we know in the church world, love is a little more complicated than what can fit inside of a greeting card. So we're doing an episode all about love, maybe romantic love, maybe not romantic love. I think there's lots of different ways that human beings have figured out to love each other and the things around them. So we're going to do our round table. We're going to go around the horn and talk about stories of love that we have seen that have inspired us. 
we're going to start in reverse order of how I introduced you guys to Ricardo. You're going to kick us off. Oh, man. Greg, that was hard. That was a that was a bucket. That was the ice bucket challenge of surprises. Thank you. <laughs> Winds that Liz is feeling right now. Exactly. All right. Welcome to my world. Uh, thank you, Greg. Uh, when you first introduced the topic to me, you you had suggested that it that it needn't be about romantic love, but there are different kinds of love. And out of nowhere, a movie came to mind, and it has lodged itself in my brain. I'm assuming we can only pick one thing for now. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll just break that rule then. Um, I got. Seven selections. <laughs> no, you don't. You can't do seven. No, you have to. Love knows no number. I, that That's right. <laughs> the, so I, I that so I'll tell you what the movie that lodged in my mind was, and then I thought, well, that's not going to work, really. And so I looked online for like the hundred greatest movies of all time, and blah 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 blah, and I took notes, and then I realized there were some great love movies um, that are actually straight up love movies. So. I'll just do the one I had in mind, and I'll pick one of the other ones. Oddly enough, the movie that came to mind was uh, from the year 2000, uh, directed by Kenneth Lonergan, called You Can Count on Me. Uh, it's a brother and sister story starring Mark Ruffalo and Laura Linney. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that or remember it. And I think what really struck me about it when I saw it, I've seen it a couple of times. I tried to watch it before the show, but I, I didn't get to it. It's a it's a brother and sister. They lose their parents like in the first scene of the of the movie. And so they grow up, you know, kind of I'm sure somebody raised them, but kind of on their own. And she's a single mother living in a small town in upstate New York. And he became kind of a drifter who, you know, spent summers in Alaska doing fishing on boats and then just kind of going around making ends meet. And he's a bit of a rebellious type who's a bit tortured. And he's the younger brother. So he comes back to town. Uh, looking to borrow some money, but then he winds up staying for a while and kind of getting a friendship together or getting getting a friendship with his nephew, her her son, played by Rory Culkin. And it's it's sweet and it's sweet and funny and kind of sad. I guess what I like about the movie is that it's about relationships and how they're messy and how the families that we kind of come from, we can love even if we can't always relate to them and um be who they want us to be they love each other and and it's it's they they have this nice family unit for a while but it's just not who they're meant to be you know they're kind of meant to do their own messiness in different ways um and kind of love each other and support each other from afar and i think it resonates with me because i live far away from my family the the lack of proximity helps the relationships i i think if i lived in wisconsin it would be hard for me to kind of be who I am. Doesn't mean there's not love. So you can count on me, Kenneth Lonergan, good director. Um, and the movie's really smart. It's literate. He plays a, a priest in the movie, maybe even Episcopal, um, but maybe more like Methodist. And he counsels Mark Ruffalo's character about trying to settle down and such. And Mark has some pretty good things to say about uh, religion. Sammy asked me to come talk to you because it's her opinion that you're not going to find what you're looking for 
the way you've been looking for. And how would she know? But I'm really not here to try to get you to do anything or to try to get you to believe in anything. And I'll tell you the same thing I told her, which is that as far as I'm concerned, the only way she can help you is by her example, by trying to be a model for you in the way she lives her life. You know, Terry, a lot of people come to see me with all kinds of problems. Drugs, alcohol, marital problems, sexual problems. Great job you have, man. Well, I like it. Because even in this little town, I really feel like what I do is very connected with the real center of people's lives. Well? Can I ask you, Terry, do you think your life is important? Um, you mean like me personally, like my individual life? Yeah. Mm, I'm not really sure. What do you mean? I mean, it's important to me, I guess, and like to my, you know, the people who care about me. But do you think it's important? Do you think it's important in the scheme of things, not just because it's yours or because you're somebody's brother? Because I really don't get the impression that you do. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's my that's my main pick. I, so just like Liz loves stories about people who do their jobs well. Yeah, I think I love stories about um, the families that we create for ourselves when we're away from our families. I mean, you know, I I think you could make the case like Harry Potter is that and, you know, like so many of these epic narratives is it's just so much about like, you know, the family unit feels like a shell. And if you're really going to know your true authentic self, you've got to get out of that and you've got to be vulnerable with these other people, you know, and form this sort of family bond almost with people who understand you as you. And then you go back to your regular family and it's almost like there's this disconnect you know that rings so true especially when you've moved away from like your family area it's it's glorious to be back together again but it's it's sad too because you realize that like your life and the things that you love and the people that you love can be so disparate from like the family that you come from that it's almost like you're living two two lives it's yeah Brokeback mountain 2005 mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah so good and just what i liked about Brokeback mountain as i thought about it and i read something about it that made me realize it's not the central theme is not like homophobia in society and like people being violently because that, that happens in the movie but the central theme is that it's a love that cannot be. It's just so heartbreaking and romantic. We have to go to this place and do this thing together. They round up the cattle or something to be ourselves. You really have seven, don't you? You yeah. actually have seven choices. I'm trying to fit them all <laughs> in. Our seven. <laughs> I've got more than seven. But the thing about Moonlight, Brokeback Mountain, and even Up, the cartoon from 2009, oh, that's a good one. Yeah. is that... It's love that is love that that it's it's hard to have in your life in the way that everyone else gets to have it. Thank you, Ricardo. Good job. You're welcome. Don't let me go first again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious what the seventh one was. Now. Okay, Liz. Oh, what yeah. is your story of love for the group? Yeah, I actually have two, but one of them I'll give briefly. <laughs> 
Love knows rules. no bounds. There are rules. And you can't cut me off if you didn't cut Ricardo off. Um, <laughs> you know, I love I love this conversation. I think especially from like the perspective of our podcast, because the whole Christian tradition is really grounded in this idea of there being many types of love and that Christian communities have a diversity of loves to make them strong. So the first one, which I'll do just super briefly because I kind of had to is um, I think of it every Valentine's day is the Dolly Parton song. I will always love you, which Mm. some of our listeners might not know that it was written by Dolly Parton because it was made so famous by Whitney Houston, but um, you can hear the whole story of this great song. Um, Some people call it the greatest story ever told by watching either a great episode of Drunk History or um, (laughs) Ken Burns' uh, new country music documentary sort of goes into it in depth. But here, you know, that's like an iconic, iconic love song. And Dolly Parton wrote it for her um, employer at the time, Porter Wagner. She was on the Porter Wagner show back in the time when those um, a lot of those variety shows had like a girl singer on them. Mm -hmm. So she was Porter Wagner's girl singer. And he just wouldn't let her go. He, when it became clear that she needed to strike out on her own, he wouldn't let her leave her contract. And she tried and tried and tried. And finally, when she put her foot down by way of saying goodbye to him, she wrote that song, I Will Always Love You. And they never had a romance. There was not a romantic aspect of their relationship. And they even had a kind of conflicted um, collegial relationship. But she did love him. And... And he loved her and they, she honored that relationship until the day that he died. But that song ended up making her an enormous amount of money, some of which she used to bail Porter Wagner out of bankruptcy. <laughs> and, oh. you know, she honored the relationship that they had forever. So it's a great story. And I think of it every Valentine's Day, like one of the most iconic love songs was really a story of platonic love. So that's one of my stories. The second one is more, I uh, thank you. I'd be happy to talk about it more. Uh, <laughs> I could talk about that story forever. Um, but the other one is more recent and um, you all may have seen this, but I, but when I, when Greg suggested this as a topic, I had just seen the two popes on Netflix and I w- I know that it is maybe a little problematic for some people, I know that it's not perfect, but I was like super affected by that movie. It really made me think deeply about some things in my own life in a new way, which is funny because it's so the premise of the movie is that um, Pope Benedict the 16th is near the end of his Pope and uh, Cardinal Bergoglio of Argentina, who then later becomes Pope Francis, our current Pope, um, wanted to retire as a cardinal. And Benedict sort of brings him out to Rome to convince him not to retire. And the reason that he wants him to not retire is because he wants him present at one more um, uh, papal election uh, so that he can be elected as Pope. Your style and your methods are entirely different to mine. I don't agree with any of most of the things you say, think, or do, but uh, for some strange reason, now I can see a, a necessity for Bergoglio. But I cannot do this without knowing that there is at least a possibility that you might be chosen. No. It could never be me. 
church issues as he is, but together they're both grounded in a love for Jesus and a love for the church. And so they kind of, the movie sets up a series of conversations between them about their faith and they develop a a friendship, like a real friendship despite their differences. And to me, it was really beautiful because it showed um, Christian love, the love of two disciples who are trying to serve God together in their own ways. It was just really beautiful the way that when Christians live in relationship to one another with the same sort of values at our heart, it requires really deep love and forgiveness and honoring one another's stories and sacrifice. It just, the movie just really affected me. What it, main, it mainly affected me thinking about my own discipleship and in light of um, Bergoglio, who becomes Pope Francis, like he was a great priest, a great cardinal, very sacrificial in his ministry. This idea of um, sometimes taking up leadership has to be sacrificial, like you maybe don't want to do it. Um, so that was a big piece. And another one was just about the another theme was the profound loneliness of leadership in the church and they paint that like in just a really simple and striking way how incredibly lonely it is to be in that kind of ministry and i think that's true for every kind of ministry there's an which is astonishing right because we're surrounded by people who were called to love and serve but there is an element of loneliness and if you don't take if you don't take care of yourself and if you're not attentive to the spiritual danger of that type of loneliness, it can um, warp you. There's a scene in this movie where Francis invites Benedict to dance. Yes. Yes. And Benedict like looks at him like (laughs) Benedict looks at him like he's like an alien that's asked him to do something that like <laughs> no human being has ever done on the right, planet. And tries before. to shoo him and away. It, and it's like, yeah. and, and Francis won't leave him. He just like clutches onto him and holds him. And they do this like really brief, but kind of intimate dance with yeah, each other. Too. And, and finally like Benedict like pushes him off and like sends him away and stuff like that. And when you were talking about this kind of warped sense of, humanity or self or whatever like it just made me think of this this idea of this pope you know this papa father you know who can't who can't dance with another person like you know just like the the whole concept of joy and dancing is so foreign i mean the premise of our show though is that love is complicated exactly yeah these men are complicated that's my problem with uh catholic church not letting priests have relationships it's like i guess it's supposed to help you focus more on god but to me the implicit message in that is that god can't be everywhere somehow that you can't find the divine in relationship love everyone and no one Mm -hmm. but god 
I think it's pretty mysterious for us. And obviously celibacy has been misused. I mean, I, I think that in our tradition, we also put way too much pressure on people's marriages and spouses and families to enrich their ministry in a way that isn't necessarily accurate or true. And I mean, I know lots of folks whose spouses are wounded by their ministry and are constantly hurt and are are making sacrifices that they never promised to make. I know other people whose spouses totally get it. I don't have a spouse and I feel like I'm a great priest. That sounded pretty cocky. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it, it is. Possible. I mean, I, Liz, Liz, I've read your Yelp page. You are great. Uh, <laughs> five stars. Five, five stars. stars. You're great. You're doing great. I don't want. I don't want to be. That sounded cocky. I might want no you. No one's. No one's canceling your lift. You're great. You're doing really well. But I'm just saying that I. But I. I think that we can go really far in the other direction, and in fact, like when we look around. A lot of uh, clerical singleness, let's call it that, in the Episcopal Church is invisible to people who are not single. Like the fact is that a lot of our clergy are single, divorced, widowed. Um, they're told they're basically living the same lives as Catholic priests are in terms of marital relationship, and we just don't mention it. We don't notice it, and then we're quick to assign sickness to Catholic priests who are asked to live that way. So I just think there's a spectrum. Yeah. And that part of what's moving in the film is that Francis, um, the love that he shows to the neighborhood that he serves in Argentina is like the is so awe inspiring. Like if I could, you know, like eating in soup kitchens every day, dancing in the town, like caring for children, like I mean, totally living in like an intimate and beautiful community with men and women. Betsy, what are your three? Four, I picked one. Five I picked stories. one. <laughs> I picked one because that's what we agreed on. You're a rule I picked follower. one. Didn't go for more. Found my one. And was oh, done. okay. Okay. Well, so I went the reality television route, and um, and I picked uh, Queer Eye yeah. as my yeah. example. Oh. Of, uh, Thought you were about to say Love Island. I was. Uh, no, did you think I was going to say that? No, I didn't say that. That's great. No, um. I mean, you know, I watched the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy back in the day when people were like, what's Bravo? And uh, and so then this update, which I've just enjoyed since season one, it's been on for four seasons. There's also this additional kind of special four episodes in Japan, which I had actually held and I hadn't watched. I, I, I don't know why I hadn't watched it. Normally I jump on that. But I watched it over break when I was a little sick and on the couch over um, Christmas break. And it was so lovely. You definitely had to pay a lot of attention to subtitles. That's why I haven't watched it as the subtitles. So then, but throwing them into a completely different culture, because they are in a culture that's different, but not really that different from how each of them grew up when they're in Georgia or they're in Missouri or wherever they are. I just, I really appreciated watching them talk about what relationships are what friendship is what marriage is there's a couple in particular in one of the episodes who you know talk about the being a practice in japan that you just you're just you're married but you just don't really have sex and that's just a you know a type of relationship that's like a brother sister kind of relationship but you're married and and that some people just agree that that's what they're doing and and it's it was this a wonderful moment of kind of breakthrough 
watching them support this husband and wife actually talk to one another. And there were times when I got a little worried, is this problematic? Is this culturally pushing too much of kind of American ideals on the couple? But really, where they went kind of came from the interviews that they did with both of them. The way that they, and I know that self-love and all of self-care and all of that has such a buzzy kind of thing where that even out in the zeitgeist, people are trying to come up with, let's come up with different words for this because this feels overused. But the way they ask their heroes to look in the mirror, literally, figuratively, and the stuckness of life that they encounter with these individuals and the way they very quickly meet them and the authenticity and the quality of the casting of these five guys. And it's just all of that has been, it's taking that original impetus of the show and just moving it forward in a way that feels even more impactful because we're at a time when we're surrounded by so much hateful language and bullying in all corners and, and they are just this, this bright stars antidote. <laughs> How was it when he first told you? He was gay. He told you when he was 14, right? Around 14. It took me aback, you know, for a minute and for a while. And it was a process. Brenda, she was one that was always, you know, she would talk to me, you know, about it. When God enlightened my heart, we sat around this very table. I sat here, he sat there. And I said, mama needs to apologize to you. And he looked at me in my eyes and he was like, for what mama? I said, because mama loves you. You know that, right? And he said, yes. I said, but I need to ask you your forgiveness because mama has not loved you unconditionally. And, you know, he looked at me, he said, Mama, I forgave you a long time ago. And I said, no, I need to hear you say that. Mm -hmm. I said, because the Bible that I read tell me that if I have wronged somebody or mistreated someone, to ask their forgiveness first, and then I'm free to go to the Father. And I told him at that point, your mama has your back. She thought her faith told her to judge somebody who's gay, but she chose to see past that. And she saw the individual, she saw the person that her son is, and she changed her mind. She says that it was a religious experience, but she made that choice. Not all parents do that. It, It always impacts me and it makes me feel great. And I need a box of tissues with me. Whenever. Sure. Yeah. I love the way that they love each other and the way um, there have been some episodes, especially when they work with like the very um, sort of stereotypical straight man where they're able to incorporate like affection and Mm -hmm. um, like male straight culture can be so shut off from feeling so like asking these guys to look in the mirror and be like i'm beautiful i'm whatever you know it's so um their the love is just so powerful that's always what makes me cry is um the sort of healthy affectionate masculinity that they show that is such a great show thank you for picking that betsy i i've only seen season one and i don't know why i think i i just sort of cherished it and was afraid it would get bad or something it gets um, better it gets better i promise yeah <laughs> <laughs> to use a, a tag a slogan you got nice. it nice <laughs> what about you greg 
Uh, What's your pick? Did, <laughs> how many things did you pick, Greg? How many things? So it's Oscar season. So lots of so that means that I've been watching a lot of movies. Just you know catching up on what was sort of nominated. Uh, but also, you know, people put out these end of year lists of like, hey, these were the best 10 movies of the year. And I find myself like folks that I follow and stuff. I, you know, I, I'm like, well, I, I kind of like that person's taste. I'll check out those movies, I guess. So, you know, I've been watching a lot of movies. And uh, there was one movie that uh, is probably one of the best movies that I saw from last year. It's called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, it's a movie directed by Joe Talbot and stars a guy named Jimmy Fails. Uh, and it's about a young man, title character of the movie, who is in love with a house on Golden Gate in San Francisco. But you distinguished truth seekers want to know about the real hep cats who hung out here in the Harlem of the West where a few of these homes did survive. Like this beauty here, which was built clear back in the 1800s. Before the black thing, this was all Japanese till FDR stormtroopers rounded them up into camps. This house was built in the 1940s. <laughs> Say hi to our neighbor here, everybody. That would actually be about 100 years late for this style. We can see from his gingerbread trim, this was built sometime in the 1850s. Uh, 1946. <laughs> I'm gonna have to disagree with you there, dude, man. No architect in the 1940s was building in this style. That's probably true, but this wasn't built by an architect. My grandfather built this. He came here in World War II he bought this lot and he built this house. The stairs, these windows, the columns, the archways, the witch hat, the balustrades, the fish scales, this balcony, all of it by Jimmy Fells I with his own two hands in 1946. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Well, let's move on to our next stop. The closet Patty Hearst willfully hid herself in. Uh, Jimmy's not able to live in this neighborhood because he can't afford this house. He can't afford to live in this neighborhood. He's been, he's been economically priced out of this neighborhood, but he's still in love with this house. And so he'll go with his friend uh, every day when he's not working and he'll work on this house. He'll weed the garden uh, in the back of the house. He'll paint the he'll paint the side where it's been chipped away, uh, where the wood's been chipped away and stuff. And the owners of the house yell at him and tell him to go away. <laughs> but he, <laughs> he just wants to care for this house. It's, it's because it means so much to him. It's his legacy. It's his history. It's his family. It's this thing that he's never going to have and yet it it means so much to him you know it's 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 a really beautifully shot movie and it's complicated and the music in this movie is just incredible so i think it's an affecting movie like when you watch it i think it's hard not to be affected by it but there was also something personal 
that I found in it, um, which is this longing, this kind of this love for something that you're not going to be welcomed into or you're not going to be a part of. Uh, I know that I'm never going to be a priest in the Episcopal Church. And there's a part of me that's fine with that because I, I, I don't necessarily think that I'm called to be a priest in this church. But there's a love that I think I have for this church that f- when I talk to you guys, when, I, when, I, um, when I'm at work, like it feels like that. It feels mm-hmm. like that. God, this is it. Like this is. And so you find yourself surrounding yourself with it. You find yourself working in the parish. You find yourself, you know, going to seminary. You find yourself kind of like, you know, painting the house that you're never going to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you love it, but you're never going to be you're never going to be it. You're never going to be in it. Um, and so there's this part of um, there's this there's this line in the movie that comes towards the very end that kind of sums it up, I think, which is uh, Jimmy's sitting on the bus um, and there's these two young women who are complaining about San Francisco and they're like, oh, city so so dirty. So, oh, I can't wait to like, you know, if I, if I have my chance, the first chance I get, I'm going to move back to LA and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, Jimmy looks over at him and he says, do you love it? And they're like, they look at him like he's crazy. And they're like, well, it's none of your business and, you know, leave us alone. And he says, you can't, you can't hate it unless you love it. Hmm. I highly recommend this movie <laughs> because I think it says a lot about um, love and longing and yearning. And it's not about romance, but it's about this sort of um, this idea of loving a call and pursuing um, pursuing it. And so anyway, the, the last black man in San Francisco is the name of the movie. I've wondered that with you a little bit. And, and it's, and using that movie and the house and that whole kind of analogy you made, I think it's perfect, if I may, uh, for, for what you have sometimes felt, as you said. And um, you're probably not alone in that. No. You know, there are people who've been, Liz will know, I guess, people who've been turned away who feel so in love with it. And then, you know, I meet priests. I can say this. I have felt this, you know. Why are they a priest? Why am I a priest? It's like the the two women on the bus. He he says, you know, do you love it? You know, why would you why would you hate something you never really loved? Yeah, that's a powerful metaphor that I think works for a lot of vocations and a lot of callings in our lives. I mean, we know this uh, because we we know San Francisco, having gone to school out there. Like, um, it is incredible that anyone is able to afford to live in San Francisco. You know, the, the way gentrification works and the way it just kind of like, you know, economically just pushes everybody out of the center to make space for like this precious few. It's just so sad. It's just so, so sad. Well, um, and like in San Francisco right now, they have like two thirds as many empty houses and apartments than they have homeless people. And you know that there are a lot of homeless people in San Francisco. Like, it's it's an economy. Seattle has become the same way. There are people living in tents all over the place. Oh, yeah. And that's a complicated issue, but, but also there is no affordable housing. Right. 
And how, how does an account, like it is absolutely sinful. It is just capitalism run amok. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It used to be so wonderful. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I moved there in 1993, 1994, and um, people were like, oh, it was so much better here in the 70s and we could do what we wanted, but the AIDS hit and da 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 And now I'm like, oh, it used to be so great in the 90s and the 2000s. <laughs> and now it's just like, who can live here? And But it doesn't have the personality or the quirkiness anymore. It's just, and you see people who probably make $250,000 a year stepping over human species uh, on their way to the Google bus. And it just coexists by pretending they don't exist, except in their own bubbles on both sides, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, it feels like when I'm there and in certain parts of Seattle, it feels like a dystopian movie. Like it feels like the Hunger Games. Uh, I love you guys. Thank you for talking about these stories of love. All we need is love in the end, right? Isn't that, I guess, something. Love Love and Jesus. That's right. Let's close out this lovely show. You can find Popping Collars on the web at poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can check out uh, Betsy and I. We have a side project called Going on 30 where we talk about Oscar-nominated movies from 30 years ago. We are starting the movies of 1990 next month. Finally, I I think we're still on social media platforms, but i got to be honest, I'm not on social media platforms. If you know a better sort of site, uh, than Facebook to kind of like interact with an audience, recommend it to us. Send us an email, poppingcollarspodcast at gmail.com. But also, you can find us on Episcopal Cafe. I don't think we've given Episcopal Cafe a shout out in a while. So, Episcopal Cafe has a whole podcast section. We love Episcopal Cafe. We know you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news needs and beyond. That's Popping Collars, you guys. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Ricardo. Keep those collars popped. Woohoo! Pop. Love. Wow. Yay. Good job, team. Yeah.